0: You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We've started this series by saying that I believe that life has got to be more than survival. I believe that the heart is more than a muscle. I believe in hope and freedom. And when I just said that, that I believe that my life can make a difference. Some of you instantly on the inside, you just kind of made an agreement with the spirit of diminishment. That when I said, I believe that my life can make a difference, you kind of went, well, maybe not me. Well, maybe somebody else. And you kind of said like, I I don't know what kind of big difference I can make. Maybe other people can do that. But you might've made an agreement on the inside with just a little bit of apathy, a little bit of diminishment, a little bit of not grabbing all that God would have for you and what he wants to do in and through your life. And how many times do we talk ourselves out of doing and being the very people that God has called us to be. He's called us into joy. He's called us into life. And sometimes we agree with diminishment. But it's understandable. It's understandable why we would do that. we got to think about ourselves for a moment. Like, we live in a culture that's pagan. Some of you are still holding out for America to be a Christian nation. I want you to know that that ship has sailed. Okay? I just want to be honest with you. That should be said. Some of you are going to put your hope in a political party. I'm going to let you know that the kingdom of God is too big to fit within two parties. It's bigger than that. You're a foreigner. You're a stranger. You're like an alien in a foreign nation who belongs to the kingdom of God. That's your nationality. That's your identity. That's, you're the people of God. But you and I, we are placed in a nation that is godless right now that has shoved God outside. And some of us are crying out for days of old when it seemed like there was a moral foundation, but in reality, sin was just as rampant then as it is now. And so we have to say, God, how am I supposed to make a difference in a totally pagan culture? How is one person supposed to turn or change or cause the witness of God to shine in a culture that I'm, I'm the minority, I am in this culture, but I'm a believer? i got to be honest with you. I get concerned sometimes about what our culture hears from Christians. Let me ask for a moment. What, is, what does culture hear from you? Do they hear judgment, that you're just sitting in judgment on the culture? Well, we would never do that. I can't believe our people would do this and that and the other. Well, maybe you can believe it because we're a pagan culture. Maybe, maybe a pagan culture does what godless people do. Maybe a pagan culture and leaders in a pagan culture do what godless people do. Maybe God has called you and I to be light in a dark culture. But what does our culture hear from you? If they were to look at your online profile, if they were to listen to your talk at work, if they were to overhear your chatter on the phone, what does a nation hear from you? What is, uh, is your job to sit in culture, uh, in judgment on the culture? Is your job to make a point as a believer? I don't want to just tell everybody else where you're wrong because I'm going to make a point. I got to make my point. Or is our job to make a difference? How do you bring value to culture without compromising our identity in Christ or our God? I want you to ask yourself that question for a minute. How do I bring value to a totally pagan, godless culture, a culture like the nation of Babylon, that the exiles were carried away from the land of Israel, God's people in God's land, they were exiled, carried away, all the young, intelligent men and people were put into the culture to be influencers in that pagan culture. But here they are, Jewish people who are now in Babylon, they find themselves there, and how are they supposed to make a difference? Without compromising their identity as the kingdom of God, without I- compromising their identity in Him. Well, I believe God puts us in position to make a difference in the culture into which He has us living. Our culture operates on the manufacture of fear. Have you ever noticed? I mean, it's usually the question starts like this Hey, did you hear? And then when someone says, Hey, did you hear? all of a sudden anxiety starts to rise up in you. You know what I'm talking about? Do I, do I hear what? Is something wrong with somebody? Do I have something wrong with my health? Will something else in the culture kill us? Is something bad going to happen? What else going to happen? Are there political fears? It Maybe there's a health diagnosis. Maybe there's going to be an unexpected breakup or a death. But it could be something as simple as unexpected bill. But all of a sudden, when you learn new information, and it kind of comes like, hey, did you hear about it? And here's the new information that was unexpected. Anxiety starts to rise. And we live in a culture of fear. It's not news unless it can possibly kill you. It's not news unless it's negative. It's not news unless there's fear-based. We don't have storms anymore. We have like super massive, horrible storms. There's never like, hey, this storm comes, there's gonna be an average, just whatever storm, right? Now it's gotta be like the, the blizzard bomb of Colorado. There's no, it's not a blizzard anymore. It's gotta be a, elevated, right? It's fear, it's fear-based, it's manufactured. But here's why you need this sermon. People are filled with anxiety and in great need of God. And God has chosen you, you of all people, to make a difference in a godless, pagan culture of anxiety. So you want to put on your identity. What is my job as a believer in Jesus Christ? God has chosen you to make a difference by his power in a culture of anxiety. If you have your Bible, open with me to Daniel chapter two. We're going to be in a lot of scripture today because scripture tells the story better than I can sum up for you. But we're going to look at Daniel again. He, Daniel is a young Jewish guy who's been carried off, exiled into Babylon, and he now is an influencer, but he's a foreign influencer. And how much influence can he actually bring? And he's in the workplace, and anxiety rises in the workplace. If you can relate to anxiety rising in the workplace, say amen. amen. All right. All right. So in Daniel chapter two, verse one, it says this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before him, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I wanna know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it for you. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. By the way, if I'm under threat of getting cut into pieces, I'm probably not worried about my house. (laughs) If I'm going to get cut into pieces, you can do whatever you want with my house, right? That's what he says. Verse six, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. How how many of you, just for a moment, this sounds like a conversation with your spouse. Like you're supposed to read his or her mind. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, Like I'm supposed to like read your mind and how am I supposed to know what you're thinking unless you tell me what you're thinking? Like I don't understand that, right? But this is not the spouse. This is The advisors to the king, the king has the power of life and death, and he tells his wise counsel around him to do the impossible. It goes on, once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. And the astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks." In other words, they said, we're going to tell the union. You're telling us to do what nobody can do. You have impossible expectations, impossible circumstances. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they don't live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends, who by the way were wise men, to put them to death. If you're taking notes today, I want you to realize something. Number one on your outline is this. Anxiety strikes when you are confronted with a problem for which you're totally unprepared. These guys were given a charge, a mandate, for a problem that they were totally unprepared for. How in the world do we tell someone what their dream was and then interpret it for them? But doesn't that happen for you and me? You receive news for which you were totally unprepared. You did not expect this setback. You did not expect your impossible situation. You didn't expect this disappointment in your life. You didn't expect the expectations at work to suddenly escalate to such a level. And all of a sudden you feel totally unprepared and so anxiety begins to creep in. Number two in your outline, the king's anxiety is so great that he inflicts equivalent anxiety on his advisors. What I want you to understand is the king has resorted to this tactic because the dream that he's had has made him so incredibly troubled, so incredibly in anguish. He's not doing a power play. He's not saying, I'm the king and I'm just gonna do what I wanna do because it's good to be king. He literally is in anguish. He's so troubled inside and the dream has troubled him so much that he can't afford a misdiagnosis. He can't afford an interpretation that's just a spin or a lie. Isn't that often what happens? That hurting people hurt people. They're in such anguish that they inflicted on you. They have such anxiety that they inflicted on you. You might be in your culture and say, why do people react in such a way? I think you need to look beyond the reaction and say, they are in such torment. They are so anxious. They are so fearful. They are so hurt and wounded and afraid that they're going to project that back on you. And as a believer, you and I have a choice. Do we just get in the anxiety game or do has God put us in a position where my life can make a difference? Worldly advisors wanna fix or appease this leader's anxiety, but the godly, we are gonna resist anxiety and see it as an opportunity for something greater. Again, the question is this. In an anxious culture, how do you and I bring value to the culture without compromising our identity or our God. You're gonna be a believer, you're gonna be one who worships the living God, but there are anxious circumstances and there are unfair expectations. How are you going to make a difference? God has called you to do that. So Daniel chapter two verse 14 says this, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? See, he's looking for what's behind the decree, right? Why? Why? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Listen, if you ever forget who God is, just read that verse. If you forget who this God is that you worship, that we're singing, there is no one like you, there is none besides you, that's who we're talking about. What people cannot do, God can do. That's who we're talking about. Verse 23, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, you've given me wisdom and power, you have made known to me what we asked of you, you have made known to us the dream of the king. On your outline, number three, says this, don't bind to the anxiety game, but look to bring value through wisdom and tact. Again, he asks why. He sees all of a sudden that there might be an opportunity here, not just an opportunity to escape death, but an opportunity for God to do what only God can do. That he knows he has a resource when it comes to anxiety, a resource the astrologers, the magicians, the wise men don't have. He has a relationship with the living God And you got to remind yourself as a believer that you have a relationship with the living God. But there's people all around you and they reach for what wise people can do. They reach for wisdom. They they reach for astrology. They reach for magic. They reach for something extra. They reach for something to keep life going. And they're anxious because none of it actually satisfies. It's temporary even in its thrill. But as a believer, you have a choice. Do I jump into the anxiety game? Or do I bring value to my culture through wisdom and tact? Number four, make time to seek God alone and get prayer support from your circle. What did he do? He went to his best friends. He went to his circle group. He said, guys, we need to pray. Let's pray together. Now, God revealed the dream to Daniel, but he's got a prayer support team. You need to be vulnerable. You need to text and say, friends, I need your help. Will you pray for me today? This thing came up at work. This thing came up in my life. This thing came up in my family, and will you pray for me? Because we believe that there's a God in heaven who overcomes darkness, who dwells in unapproachable light, but reveals wisdom to people in search of wisdom, even when they're in anxious circumstances. Daniel chapter 2 says this, Verse 24, then Daniel went to Arioch, with whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret his dream for him. And Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel standing before the most powerful man in the world, he asked, can you do it? And his first response is, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. In other words, he's like, I cannot do it. Hey, get me before the king, because I'm going to interpret his dream. Hey, buddy, can you do it? I cannot do it. No one can do it. And then he turns, but There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. Ready for the dream? Here it is. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me not because I've got greater wisdom than anyone else... But so that your majesty may know the interpretation so that you may understand what went through your mind. In other words, he's saying, "I there's nothing great about me. I have a relationship with God. And God's revealed what you need to know because this God, the very real and living God, cares about you, king. Cares about your anxiety. Cares about your trouble. Cares about you. Even though you don't even know who he is. And he goes to tell the dream. Verse 31, Your Majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer, and the wind swept them away without leaving a trace, like Thanos had touched the statue. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we'll interpret it for the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. What's he doing? He's given the king honor. He's given him value. In your hands he has placed all mankind and beasts of the field and birds of the sky. And whenever they live, you have made, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. As iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. And just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be Partly strong and partly brittle and just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay so the people will be a mixture and not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. And in those kings, the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms, bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. And the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of God's And the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler of the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is a true account. If you wanna do some study into end times, look up what the kingdoms of the statue represent. And you can look that up from reliable sources and be able to understand that a little bit more deeply is what the future from the time of the kingdom of Babylon has looked like. But today I don't wanna deal with the statue. What I wanna deal is with a God who reveals mysteries. One of the biggest mysteries is that God believes that your life can make a difference. And yet, sometimes you and I make an agreement with diminishment. We want to back it off, we want to slow it down, we want to make our life safe. And I think sometimes we offend God by small thinking and safe living. But the people of God are part of this kingdom that will be established, that will reign forever, that will never have an end, one that that oversmashes every kingdom that's ever existed, that will remain forever the kingdom of the living God. And you're part of that kingdom. And sometimes I think we forget it. And we get all panicky when our earthly, fragile culture doesn't look like the mountain that will remain forever called the kingdom of God. And we've got our eyes... And our hearts set on the wrong kingdom. Well, God has called your life to make a difference in a pagan godless culture. Why? Because you're part of the kingdom of God. And the God who reveals mysteries is with you. Number five, Daniel did not seek destruction of those who were self-inflated worldly advisors. He became large and in charge, but did he depose everybody? We're given no indication. Listen, it is better to make a difference than to make a point. It's better to make a difference than make a point. So often you think, I'm a believer, I have to represent for God. i got to defend God for God. Who's better at defending God, you or him? God's better at defending God, right? But we think, well, i got to make the point. And we get so distracted because the point comes across as judgment instead of you saying, how do I make a difference in a culture of anxiety? Should I stand in moralistic judgment on people who are so different than me or should I make a difference to those people because I have a relationship with the God who reveals mysteries and cares about those people? What's more important, to make a point or for your life to make a difference? I believe life is more than survival. I believe the heart is more than the muscle. I believe in hope and freedom and I believe that my life can make a difference. That's what God's called the kingdom of God, you and I, to be. Number six, honor the position, title, and authority of those who oversee you while pointing to the source of all wisdom and authority. Don't hide the fact that you're a believer. Don't hide the source of wisdom or truth. In fact, an advocate speaks truth to power. Here's the most powerful person in the world. But what did Daniel do? He could have interpreted the dream. He could have given himself a major raise. He could have gotten himself a huge promotion by making it all about him. I slept on it overnight, and I got everything you need to know. But what does he do? He speaks truth to the most powerful man in the world, that there's a God who reveals mysteries, and that he's revealed this mystery to the king because God cares about that king, Nebuchadnezzar. Number seven, when God does what only God can do, the lost preach the righteousness and greatness of Almighty God. What happens? Nebuchadnezzar becomes the best advocate of the true and living God, doesn't he? He falls prostrate before a foreigner who's in his wisdom council. He falls on the ground before him, and he begins to praise that there is a God who's above all gods and a king who's above all kings and a God who cares about kings on the earth. And he becomes the greatest advocate, the greatest preacher of the reality of God because God did what only God can do. God's his best own advocate, and people become far more convinced by God's work than by your or my lobbying. We try to lobby for the point and God's like, how about you just love? What if you could love people without compromising? By loving them, you're not compromising your identity. You're not compromising your God. You're loving people who are gonna do what lost people do. You're loving people who are full of anxiety. You're loving people who react with anxiety toward you because they themselves are so anxious. What is Daniel doing? He's extending value to the king's authority, to the king's role, even though that king's authority and role and ways of doing life are completely godless to a Jewish, wise, young man. He's bringing value to that one. That campaign, the campaign of Nebuchadnezzar, he's bringing value to it. That person. And some of you look at your boss, you look at your supervisors, you look at the culture, you look in politics or everywhere else, and you just want to name everybody, they're just Nebuchadnezzar. They're just godless as anybody else, or just as corrupt as anybody else. Well, guess what? We all were when we were lost, but there's a God who cares about those people, and when they become anxious and raise anxiety toward you, it is because they themselves are anxious, but there's a God who still cares about them, and he wants his people to make a difference by bringing value to that culture, even though it's in opposition to the kingdom that we truly belong to. Now if you cut corners like them, if you act like them, if Daniel just began to dive into astrology and find from the stars what the answer to the king's dream was, then he would have compromised his God, wouldn't he? He would compromise his identity as part of the kingdom of God. But he went to the source that he really knew And so can you and I, and that source will give you and I wisdom to how to bring value to our culture. Listen, you might be in government. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the highest calling in your life can be to be the best government worker you can. To bring value to a corrupt, at times, government. You can be an accountant. And the best thing you can do is be the best accountant that you can be to the glory of God. And that is a high calling. You can be a teacher and you can be in a place where you feel like you can't utter the name of Jesus, and yet you can be the best teacher to future generations and let the light of God shine through your life in a dark environment, and when God opens a door for you to reveal the God of mysteries to a student in a one-on-one conversation, you can do that. You can bring the light of God into dark places because you are part of the kingdom of God. Number eight, as we prepare to close, use an unexpected promotion for unleashing godly influence. Did the kingdom become better because Daniel got a promotion? Yes. If you get an unexpected promotion, then use that new influence, not to lord it over the people, but to have additional influence in the kingdom of God. You're going to mobilize others to influence alongside you. What did he do? He realized, I can't do it alone. I got to bring some friends alongside. And sometimes when you get a promotion, when you get a raise, when you get additional influence, that's the time especially you need to bring some people around you and be like, hey, help keep me grounded. Help us together bring value to our culture. And some of you feel so alone and isolated in the workplace. You feel like you're in a dark place or maybe there are no other believers around you. And this would be the time for you to say, God, I just need a friend. I just need co-worker. I need someone who can come alongside so that together we can be the best that you've called us to be because I believe that my life can make a difference in this arena. So what has made you anxious this week? Have you just given into the anxiety game? Or are you realizing you're part of the kingdom of God? Surely the God of gods and the Lord of Kings is a revealer of mysteries. And so instead of reaching to our culture with anxiety and panic when we see godlessness in our culture, making a difference happens when you and I ask, How can I bring value to my culture without compromising my identity in Christ or compromising my God? When you do that, I believe your life will make the greatest difference that God has designed you to do. I believe the God of mysteries will begin to speak and work and influence through you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment, thinking to say, maybe today this is a moment for you believers in the room who've already made a decision to give your life to Jesus, to lay down some of the anxiety that you've been feeling, to say, God, again, I got to be reminded that I am part of that kingdom that will smash all others, the culture that will never fail, with the only righteous leader Jesus Christ, who's ever existed, the one who's never wrong, who's always right, who is wise and fair and just. And God, we just commit ourselves to you in that. But there are others of you in this room and you've not been convinced. You realize the anxieties that you have and you realize you don't have anywhere to turn. You try to turn to yourself and you realize how empty that can be at times. And maybe today for the first time you realize I need Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He satisfied God's righteous anger against sin. And he's offered to give you eternal life in that forever kingdom if you'll just believe that what he did on the cross was done for your sin. If you'll humble yourself before the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and say, God, I need your forgiveness in my life. He will give it to you. And so if that's you today, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just pray something like this. Jesus, today, I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life, that you're God, and I ask you, Jesus, to wash me as white as snow, to bring me to new spiritual life, to forgive me of everything I've ever done, I want to know you, and so today, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand? Anywhere in the room that you just prayed that prayer, you raise your hand up right here on the end. Greatest decision you could ever make. Right here in the front, greatest decision you could ever make. It took a person standing on the stage for me to decide that in my own life and just explaining to me the goodness of God. All the way in the back, I see the greatest decision you could ever make. You might be up in the loft and you're making a decision. Just hold your hand up there. One of my friends up there will just see you. We just want to know that we're available to you as, com- as much as you're comfortable with, that we love you, that there's a God who loves you. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you reveal mysteries. The greatest mystery is that you would become flesh, that you would live among people, that you would take our sin upon yourself on the cross, that you would die for it when you didn't have to, but you did because you love those of us who've been godless and pagan and running our own lives and been full of anxiety. God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you invite us into your forever kingdom. And we say in Jesus' name, amen. We give it up for what God's doing in and through and among us. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.